0: all right so we've been off um, took a break off of our series for a few weeks in Ephesians and so we're gonna pick that back up today if you guys are just say I just showed up last week for Easter and and then I just showed up because I thought this was a cool church we fool everybody for Easter and then we go back to regular stuff so we're in the book of Ephesians so if you guys have a Bible uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and if you don't have a Bible raise your hand and keep your hands raised really high um, and then someone will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's word And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge um, of the Lord um, And so a couple of things we're going to have to do One, I just want to set the trajectory on what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks um, That is, we are at a part in Ephesians That I think, by the grace of God, is timely for us And it's a conversation through the lens of the gospel that we've been needing to have as a church for a long time and that is the conversation surrounding race and reconciliation. Um, Our culture needs it but the church needs it even more than the culture because the church should actually be the witness of what it looks like and yet we got issues. Um, This is not news to Jesus. Um, It does not shock him. Um, However, hopefully his news would shock us in such a way that we're able to actually live into it um, and so this week we'll do 11 1 through 18 next week we're gonna come back and do 11 1 through 18 and you may say Ricardo that's the same text you're right um, we are going to look um, what what does the scripture say today what does it say and then what are the more implications of how we live that out uh, next week and and so next week my plan is to to just communicate even more uh, honest and raw so just to be honest with you I never say this I never say this but um I know everybody doesn't go to church every week, but come to church these next three weeks. It's going to be huge for us as a congregation. Um, come to church every week. But for the next three weeks, come to church. Um, next week's sermon, we're not going to record it because uh, I, I just want it to be for us and not for people who may not be a part of our congregation. And I want to be able to have honest conversation that I've had with you guys and so forth with you guys. And so you go, well, we'll record. be out of town next week. So next week, we're not recording the sermon. So you're just... Um, Talk to a friend and uh ask him how it, how it went and so uh and then you can come back the next week and then we'll be back um concluding this series um and it's uh excuse me this section in ephesians and so uh it's not easy and to talk about this but it, someone said to me are, are you nervous talking about this here's the thing i've been talking about this my whole life right and whether it's been in jesus that's not true i've been talking about the gospel my whole life as it looks at this but you can't you can't get away from this right you can't get away from it and especially if you are someone uh, as a man or a woman or a child of color that you live in this world you don't get away from it you know what I mean it's kinda like asking a woman do you know what it's like to be in a world that's dominated by men I have no choice they say right and then if you ask them, anyway so you you guys get what I'm saying and so no I'm not nervous I'm not nervous at all I know it's difficult and I know it brings up all sorts of conversations I know it's confusing to people and I think the 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 problem is when it comes to the people of of, of God, those of us who are in Christ, is we just sometimes fail to admit that we have a very truncated view of the gospel. Our gospel that we preach sometimes is so small that we can't see how God actually speaks to the issues in which we experience as a culture. And what I mean by that is we've reduced it so much to being that Jesus died on the cross for my sins individually. He was raised from the for my sins and now I can receive him in my heart and I can go to heaven to be with my Jesus. And there's no, the, the, the kingdom and the bigness of the gospel that speaks to not only the vertical relationship of God reconciling us, but the horizontal of God reconciling us with God to each other. We, don't, we miss that because we preach such a small gospel, which is really not the fullness of the gospel that the scriptures actually teach. So I, don't, I personally don't expect a whole lot of amens. Amens mean I fully agree. And if you don't, that's okay. Um, it's totally okay. Just enge- stay engaged in the conversation as we listen to God's word. Amen? I told you, I don't even need your amens. <laughs> let's pray and let's get into God's word. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. I thank you, Lord. Um, it's a long time coming. And God, many of us in this room are tired. We're tired. We're confused. We don't get it. We're angry. We're sad. And by your grace, we're hopeful. God, you never promised that any of this, Lord, would be easy. Somehow we've communicated that it would be. It's not easy, Lord, but in Christ, it's good. And we pray that we would just rest in your goodness and miss all the tension and all the frustration and all the unknowns and all the beauty and all the mercy and all the grace. Father, we thank you in Christ's name, amen. So this past week, we celebrated 50 years of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and it was interesting, I was talking to some people at the Laugh service, they were like, I was alive during that. And I said, you know, I wasn't. But uh, <laughs> um, I do think that's amazing as they, they, like, they remember it by looking at How many of you guys were alive when that happened, right? First of all, the fact that that many hands went up, that's growth for us as a church, right? <laughs> like, that's growth, like, that's growth. Five years ago, if I was like, how many of you guys were alive for 9-11? Everyone's like, 9-11, right? That's how, you know, that's how, you know, just... <laughs> It's like, <laughs> um, But Martin Luther King Jr. has lots of quotes that people say and a lot of times they don't quote the fullness of his quotes. Um, and one of them is this one right here that I wanna start with this morning. Men often hate each other because they fear each other and they fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they cannot communicate. Oftentimes this quote is, is mentioned and it's mentioned like we need to just communicate better. But when you understand the fullness of the context, Of what he said next, that makes even more sense. He goes on to say we can't communicate because they're separated. And we can say, well, you don't understand what it was like back then. They literally were segregated. Well, now we've had laws and policies and things that have happened that we're not necessarily segregated, but do we really know each other? Right? The gospel gives us something that says that through God, that in Christ, that we could be known and fully known. That that's something that God gives us, and it's something that through God, through the gospel of Jesus, that we can give to one another. To know and to be fully known. We see this best when there's diversity and unity that are together and not separated. This is what every one of us who are married, we live into. We are not like our spouse. Our spouse. There's diversity there, and yet there's unity and there's oneness, and if you're honest, it's hard, it's painful, but it's all good. Well, when we begin to look at the church, the way God himself has designed it, not our idea, not our sociological experiment, the way God is doing it, the way he's reconciling heaven and earth, we begin to see we might actually be missing out on what the gospel really is. And if we're missing out on a part of the gospel, that means we may be missing out on what God has for us. So so we, we want, want to be able to just look at this. For me, I'm, I'm just, 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 just out of my heart, right? This conversation, the reason why I say it's needed is because, not just because of what's going on in our culture, but our culture has aflo- influenced us that we have no idea how much. Tim Keller said this, culture is like the rain. No matter how much clothing you put on, you're still going to get a little wet. And for me, this has been probably an 18-month to two-year journey and not just this this conversation like I got into this like I got into this because I was hopeful when I took this job that we could take a particular church that was predominantly white of a certain age of a certain demographic and say we can actually be an eclectic diverse church given the context and those um, demographically that surround this location man was I naive I was 28 years old thinking we can do it I still think we can do it it just takes forever It takes forever and it's hard because whenever you think you've actually been running a race in this particular context um, for so far and then you realize that you haven't even left the starting line sometimes, it gets exhausting. So um, it started for me like the exhaustion, right? And I've heard some people say, well, you notice a change in you. It's like, man, I had to re-get my life right with the Lord to, to see certain things. So bitterness and anger and things like that just didn't just sit in my heart. And you say, well, who'd you talk to? I talked to my friends, and I talked to my wife. Um, and, uh, and so if you go back about two years or so, what began to happen is, for whatever reason, we begin to see a lot of the uh, issues that were happening with police shootings and so forth. Now, hear me. When I just said that, I didn't say anything about what I think about the police. I didn't say anything about what I think about President Trump. I didn't say anything about it other than you experienced something, Right? And I had people on particular conversation going, why? why don't you lean more to this? Wait, you're leaning too much into this. As a pastor, you shouldn't do this. As a pastor, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to preach God's word. And some people heard, I'm just going to preach God's word. is I'm not going to deal with these issues. And some people said, because it's God's word, I'm going to deal with these issues. So you can see some of the tension, right? Okay, so after that, I'm experiencing it. I'm exhausted. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like literally going, like, I'm exhausted. And so I got rid of my social media. I never really said, like, out loud, like, exactly why. Well, one, here's the deal. Like, I don't know all of you guys. I think you guys know that. And you guys don't all know me. You can hear my stories and so forth. But when you're a pastor in a church of this size, and apparently now there's 700 of you guys in his room, I didn't even know that. Uh, and there, I become a, I'm on Facebook or whatever it is. Now I have all these friends, right? Um, and then I get to see what you post, and you get to see what I post. And when I was watching people in our congregation react over certain things and just throw bombs at each other without even listening at all. Like nobody was saying, hey, that's a good point of view. Let me listen to that. It was you're wrong. I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm not listening to you. More and more separation. And then I would show up on Sunday and see everybody getting in the line, getting water, getting coffee. And I'd be like, you guys hate each other. <laughs> Do you know that? Do you know we hate each other? Yeah, yeah, but we're going to take communion. We're going to be it's all good. So I, I emotionally just couldn't do it. I said, it'd be better if I didn't know one because I got to get my own heart right. Okay, that summer progresses, right? If you can remember that whole summer, I don't know if you remember, but it was like a political season. And, and then all of a sudden, we went to November and then we, we got a new president. And I don't know if you remember, it was really tense and a lot of tension. Um, and, you know, it's a good thing things have changed. And uh, <laughs> there... The, the reality of you have people going, and I, I, like, I knew that would happen regardless. No matter who was going to be the president, there was going to be issues. And I expected those issues to be in the church because I would expect that the people of God would not be so monolithic that everybody's on the right or everybody's on the left. But you have people coming in from all different walks of life because that's kind of how Jesus does things. And then he radically changes him through his life and his death and his resurrection that they may be one and yet not the same. But that's not what happened. There was a further division. And I'm not going to do this, but I can say, how many of you guys lost friends over this? And some of you would raise your hands. I said, don't raise your hands. Some of you guys, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and a lot of it is we haven't had or been equipped to deal with these things. Okay, personally, go further. So going back um, to a lot of those shootings, right, it was, we were in the Gospel of Mark, and it was Mother's Day. And we were preaching the text where Mark, or excuse me, John, uh, Jesus actually, uh, <laughs> was in a boat with John, Mark, Luke, and no, he's in the boat and he's sleeping and there's a storm. And they said this question to him, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And I said, that's a question that people ask whether they believe in God or not, that, that you don't have to be a follower of Christ to go, God, do you not care that this is happening right now? And then I said, on this Mother's Day, you can only imagine being the mother, and I named a few of the people who had, who had died. You can only imagine these mothers saying, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, that's not the point here. Is You can imagine that no matter what, there's a mother somewhere saying, God, do you not care? And I got the nastiest, ugliest email I've ever received being here. You made it about political, it's just like, what? No, it's about people. The gospel's always about people. And it escalated. The summer leading to the election, I decided to write out what we were going to teach for Advent over the summer. And I said, wouldn't it be interesting to restore, retell the story of Christmas from those on the margin instead of those in the center? To begin to tell the Christmas story from bottom up as opposed to top down. And so we said, let's look at Mary's story, week one. We'll look at Mary's story as a teenage, pregnant, un, unplanned pregnancy, because that relates. And yet that's the way the gospel enters in. Let's look at the, the, the shepherds, man, as, as migrant workers, people who no one wanted to be like and work like, but yet God reveals the gospel to them first. That's good news. Let's look at the fact that Jesus became a refugee and what's it like to be torn from your country and be in another country. And then you know what? Who else are the least of these in our context? And we said the elderly, right? In a, in a day and time where it's all about being creative and able-bodied and fast and quick and witty, then those of us who raised our hands, who, who were alive, during the assassination of Martin Luther King, many of us don't get an opportunity to be at the center. And so we looked at the story of, of Simeon and, and Anna and how they were older people waiting to hear the gospel. And we went through that and we were entitled with the Justice of Christmas. I did that, I wrote that in June and July. First of all, that was the most prepared I had ever been for anything in my entire life. Like, right? I didn't even plan for pregnancy. Like, my wife was pregnant for nine months and I still was like, we got, I got, I'm going to wait to the last minute to get ready, right? Okay. I had no idea what was going to happen in the election. Election happens that first Wednesday in November. Advent starts the last Sunday, or last Sunday of November. We start talking about migrant workers and refugees and so forth, and all the emails I got was, this is your way to, to put it to the man who was elected at president. And I'm going, from what I see is, we're looking at this Christmas story from a different way through the scripture and yet somehow I didn't make it political you did and I honestly my hands were up it was the first time I told my wife I don't even know if I want to do this anymore like I'd rather just be Noah and Eli's dad your husband go teach school uh, coach football yell at a few kids apologize afterwards (laughs) And, and kind of ride it out but you know what, some of us are called to this sort of work. And um, just because you're called to it doesn't mean it's not easy. And you know what, I'm not the only one called to it. Every person in Christ is called to this. And it's called, we're called through it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now we're gonna look at it here and you're gonna see it. And whether you agree with me or not, that's on you. But we're gonna look at it together, all right? Ephesians chapter two, as you turn there, i mean, just kind of recap you where we've been. Chapter one, we said that Paul wrote this letter. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church that was in Ephesus. Chapter one, the beginning, what he said is, and just kind of overview, is that God is reconciling, that God is in the business of reconciling heaven and earth through Christ Jesus. The latter part of chapter one, he prays that we'd be able to experience that God himself is reconciling heaven and earth through Jesus. Chapter two, we came back and we said chapter two begins to be this vertical understanding of the gospel of not only is God reconciling heaven and earth, but God is reconciling um, man to himself. Um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that we were separated because of our sin, um, that we were by nature children of wrath, the way that we normally say it is that we were naughty by nature, not because I hate you, And then, and then and then separate it from God. And then verse four is, but God, but God, but God, meaning God's about to do something. But God, who was rich in mercy, he raised us up with Christ. We get to that beautiful, beautiful memorized passage, gospel in the nutshell, and Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for by grace we have been saved. This is not our own doing, it's not by works, so that no one may boast, this is all God. This is what we usually know as the gospel. And it's a very, it is good news, it's a truncated good news, but it's good news. Because then, what we normally do at 2 stop. And we say we're saved by grace, and we go praise the Lord, and that is true, and we should say praise the Lord. But Paul doesn't stop writing then, and he continues. Verse ten, will came and he taught on it that we are his workmanship. Greek word for workmanship is poema, which means what do you think? Poem. Yes, it's so bright, right? It means poem, and it's not that you're a poem and I'm a poem and I'm a po- no collectively, God's people are a poem, that there's something artistically, beautifully done by God and his people. That means we have been created, as he says, in Christ for good works. And these works he said that he created, he prepared beforehand. And then what no one seems to do, for whatever reason, we end there. In the evangelical world, we kind of end there, Ephesians 2, the gospel, we love it. We don't really live into 11 through 18, when, when after Paul says God reconciles us, he makes us his work, he shows us what the work is. That we his workmanship, he goes on to verse 11, he says, therefore, and I say this all the time when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore? Because there's a connection. He's not done. He's saying because you've been reconciled to Christ, because God has this poem that is beautiful, because there's works that we're supposed to do in which he prepared beforehand, oh, now this is how you live out this work. This is not um, a so what to the gospel. 11 through 8 is a continuation of the gospel. It's not, oh, this part was the word of God and this part was the social part. Although no, this was truth and this was like just more justice. no. You can't take one wing off the plane. It won't fly. The gospel is the word of God, rooted in the person of Christ, in his death, in his resurrection, and what his people do to participate in that becomes good news in Christ Jesus. And this is not like, oh, I'm making this up. No, Paul says, therefore, remember that you, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, who's he talking to? Us, they said that last service, Gentiles, but that counts, All right? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the same time at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, remember, Paul's writing a Jewish person, and he's writing to predominantly. Gentiles, those are non-ethnically Jewish people. And he's saying, you are already, like, you're already saved, we already talked about that. He goes, but just remember that it wasn't always like that. So let's step back real quick to give you a framework for this. Paul, in this whole section, which we'll get to, um, talks. he's talking in temple language. And what I mean is, in the, in the wilderness they had the tabernacle, which was like a tent, and the presence of God was there. And it showed where heaven and earth were meeting. Like that was the sweet spot. And then God had them create a temple. And then the temple was, again, where heaven and earth met, where God would meet with them. And then what you have in the New Testament is sometimes we just go, oh, there's no temple anymore. There's no tabernacle anymore. It's all right. We're saved by grace. There's no temple. There's no tabernacle because the temple are made up as the people of God. So what that means is the same power and presence of God in the tabernacle is the same power and presence of God that was in the temple. The same power and presence that was in the temple is the same power and presence as in the people of God. That means in our lives, as the Spirit of God is in us, heaven and earth meet to bring some sort of beauty and power and presence of who God is. So there should be a sense of display of what it looks like to worship God, of who he is, and that he meets with us. Well, Paul, with that backdrop, begins to talk about, at the very end of this chapter 2, how the temple is now made when Jew and Gentile are brought together and the spirit of God in which we have access to one Father. So he tells the Gentiles, remember, you weren't a part of that before. You were not a part of that. You were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel, meaning God had chose a particular people in which he was going to express his good news through for the sake of the world when he goes, and it, you weren't a part of that. Um, that's not to say that God didn't always have Jew and Gentile together in His mind. I, I, he's always had them together in His mind. And you say, Ricardo, how do you know that? Because you read the Bible, and the Bible says that. Uh, we just don't talk about it very much. One of the one of the chapters, excuse me, one of the books in the Bible that people love to talk about. This book explain the gospel is Galatians. And in Galatians, Paul says something. Paul says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And if you go to that reference verse that he's talking about, the gospel being preached before to Abraham, you go back to Genesis chapter 12, which is a very pivotal chapter in understanding the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a man named Abram, changes his name to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and bless your family so that through your family, all the other families would actually be blessed. Meaning God's saying, I'm setting my saving purposes and what I'm doing to redeem and restore all of creation. I'm going to set that upon you and your family so that through you, all the other families would actually be blessed. The thing that we don't understand sometimes is the word family is actually ethnicities. He's not just talking about his cousins and his aunties and his abuelitas, et cetera, et cetera, Right? He, he, he's talking about ethnicities and Paul says later that was actually the gospel preached beforehand but somehow we never see that as the gospel at best we see it as a step two or step three of the gospel not, the gospel, not good news in itself in Christ so, so Paul says remember you weren't a part of that and it lists a few things. You weren't a part of the commonwealth. You weren't a part of the covenants. The covenants that God made in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth, that he would be with them. He would bless them. And he would always be with their, uh, his, their descendants. Because you, you, you weren't a part of that. You were alienated from it. You were without hope. And, and, and not temporary hope, but like hope meaning the future of God coming and making all things right and good and true and beautiful. That you were without hope. It goes on to say, because you were without no God in the world. Because that's what it was like. And then it gets to verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's nothing more central to the gospel than the blood of Christ. Like, there's nothing more central to how we can know and draw near to God than the blood of Christ. So when people begin to say that somehow race and reconciliation or diversity through the lens of the gospel is, is, is not the gospel, then why is the blood of Christ being mentioned in this? Are we missing it? Like, was this an accident that Paul just like, accidentally said? I don't think he accidentally said anything. So going back to temple language, that sacrificial language that was here, and mainly when we normally think about sacrificial language, we think about a blood of a, of a lamb or a ram being shed for the forgiveness of our sins because that's biblical. Equally as biblical as we see through Leviticus is the blood was also, sh- um, was also shed in such a way to be sprinkled to make unclean things clean. Because you could not enter into certain parts of the tabernacle or the temple if you were unclean and you could not make yourself clean. And so the way that it would, it would be set apart and made holy is that what he's saying is through the blood of the cross now, um, Gentiles, he's going to talk about um, um, Jewish people as well, but now Gentiles, he's saying now through the blood, not only are your sins forgiven, but through his blood now, you are made clean to actually be able to draw near to the presence and purposes and participate in who God is. This is a gospel issue. It is through the death, the atoning death of Christ Jesus and his shed blood that now people are able to be brought in and cleansed ultimately to be able to know and trust God through Jesus. Amen? Like, like we see that. Well, you go further here, verse 14, for he himself, seeking of Jesus, the Messiah, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now he goes, now he's going, not just Gentile, he goes, now he is our, he is our peace. He's not just saying the Gentile peace or the Jew. Anybody who is in Christ, he becomes our peace. The Hebrew word shalom, and you have the same word that's used in Greek that speaks of wholeness and wellness and also fullness of blessing. Like the way that we are ultimately blessed is if we experience each other with God by the shed blood of Christ Jesus. He becomes our peace. Not what we do. Not our efforts. He actually becomes our peace. And then he says this. He has now broken down the wall of hostility, hostility in his flesh, this dividing wall. Now, we've got to talk about this dividing wall. Now, mind you, we're just talking about Jews and Gentiles here right now. <laughs> Don't read yourself into this text. We've got to read the text, and then we can understand what it means to us. We're talking about Jews and Gentiles in that day. Jews and Gentiles in that day, what writers think here is there's two different things that Paul's communicating. One is a literal wall. And in the temple, you would have certain places for people to worship. And you may ask, well, if somebody was a Gentile, could they worship the God of the Bible, the God of Israel? Absolutely they could have. And those people were called proselytes or the converts to Judaism. And in the temple, there were certain places. There was even a place where only the high priest can go to, the holy of holy places. And there was places to worship for people here. And then if you were a God-fearing Gentile, you had to worship back here from afar. And there was literally a wall that archaeologists found. And on the wall, the inscription on the wall read something like this, that if any Gentile were dared to cross this wall or to fence, they would only have themselves to blame for the death which would proceed. Right? Like that wall. And what Paul is saying is now, that wall that stood there, Jesus in his flesh, he broke it down. That he experienced something to break that down for not only Gentile but for Jew himself themselves, that for both to be able to come together in Christ Jesus because of the gospel, because of the shed blood, because of the resurrection, because of the Spirit, because of all these beautiful things in which we swing, sing about in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul Paul's not done there, but there's something else, and that is the way they interpreted the laws became in such a way that they became exclusive. And that was through, now, verse 15, that by abolishing the law of its commandments expressed in ordinances, um, meaning not that God got rid of the law, that the law was bad, but because of sin, the way that many of the Israelites interpret the law continued to push people away instead of through the gospel to bring people in. And what Paul is saying is it's not actually through converting to Judaism that they were able to get in. It was ultimately converting to Christ. And not only did the Gentiles need to convert to Christ, but also the Jewish people need to convert to Christ. There was no sense of saying just because God worked in Israel that Israel was automatically in because he chose them. No, everybody would be in by the work of Christ Jesus on their behalf. So he continues here um, by abolishing the law, and this, here's, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Now, when it says one new man or one new humanity, um, that's not new of its kind. The Greek word there is kainos. And so I I drive a a, a, a 2008 Nissan Altima. Um, I normally drive. I couldn't find the keys this morning. I literally caught an Uber over here. I could not find my keys. So not in the notes, but just thought you guys should know that. Pray for me to find my keys. (laughs) And if if I got a 2018 Nissan Altima, that would be new of its kind, Um, supposedly better and so forth, right? This is not new of its kind. It's new altogether. Meaning what God has done in Christ Jesus and bringing Jew and Gentile together is not, have, has not been done and never be done again. That it's something radically different that you can't get through, hear me, by political agendas and policies, etc. It can only happen through the death and resurrection, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Like that's the only way it can happen, right? It's the, it's the only way that it can happen. God's a, you can get people together, hear me, I have a very diverse group of friends outside of Christ. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the kingdom. It might look good on the surface, but it ain't what he's talking about at the heart of it. The only way this happens, this one new man, this is not of our doing. This is not a social, political agenda. This happens to be a kingdom of God, Jesus Christ agenda. Therefore, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Whether I participate or whether you participate, God's going to make it happen because it's something that he delights and it's something that he desires. Our opportunity through faith is to participate with him and experience his goodness, his life, and his love. But we've got to get rid of some things of our own selves in order to be able to taste and see how good he is in this particular conversation. So he says he's creating one new man. Now, when he says one new man, that doesn't mean we cease to be anybody else. Jews are not told to become Gentiles. And Gentiles are not told to become Jews. Gentiles will remain Gentiles and Jews will remain Jews. Men will remain men and women will remain women and yet will be something completely due in another type of race, another type of race that ultimately is in Christ Jesus. Here's how this conversation goes sometimes. That people usually of a dominant culture will naturally say, you see, it doesn't matter anymore. God's telling us to be colorblind. He's not telling us to be colorblind. Why would he create us different colors? He didn't make any mistakes when he did it. He didn't. Um, he's not saying one should be above the other, but Christ should be above all and in all. That if Christ is died ultimately to himself to make this happen, in order for us to experience it, we gotta what? Die to ourselves. That means we gotta die to our preferences. That if Christ was able to come and live 33 years and listen to our nonsense, we got to live and listen to the nonsense of others and realize a lot of the nonsense is actually coming from our own mouths in such a way that the other is loved and cared for. That this one new race that Christ has already accomplished is something that now we participate in. You say, what do we do? Now we got to get to work, and we're going to talk more about this later. But we have to see it theologically to say, wait, God has done something. Maybe I'm not stepping into the fullness of what God has already done. Maybe I don't know what I don't know. Maybe I've been too busy trying to become a Jew because I was ashamed of being a Gentile. Or maybe I'm trying to be a Gentile because I was ashamed of being a Jew. Or maybe I'm trying to make others become Jew when they should just remain Gentiles, And maybe I'm making too many things about sub things when the main thing is about Jesus and his kingdom. So so just maybe. (laughs) Paul, let me conclude this section. Paul says this, verse 16. that he'd make one new man out of two, verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Again, the cross is central to the gospel. Race and reconciliation is central to the gospel. Jew and Gentile being one is central to the gospel. It's not an addendum, it's the gospel. He continues, verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to we who were near. What Paul is saying is all of us had to hear the gospel. (laughs) Jews had to hear it, and they had to come close. Gentiles had to hear it, and they had to come close. But ultimately, it was going to be experienced in Jesus. Last verse here. For through him we both have access and one spirit to the Father. The interesting thing here is Paul is not talking about metaphoricals. (laughs) He's saying, God is making us and has made us family. You guys know what it's like to operate in family. The good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> right? But family's family. And sometimes the family a metaphor in churches, it's hard, it's difficult, it depending on what type of families you grew up in. But he's saying the access here is with the Father. And I want you guys to get this. I want us to get this. Access sometimes, when we think of access, it's usually to get something. Like I need access to get childcare, I need access to get milk for my baby, um, I need access to be able to get resources for my child who has um, you know, special needs or difibi- dif- um, disabilities, I need access to usually get something, there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible, when it talks about um, having access to the Father, it's not to get something, it's to get Him. What we desperately need to understand, where do we all come from? How do we know that we're known? How do we know that we're loved? And is there any place where we could be fully known and fully loved at the same time that people really fully knew us? And what Jesus is saying is, it's not just the races getting along, it's people coming together under their father that they can be exactly who they are in need of God's grace and need of his forgiveness on the way to being whatever it is and whoever it is that God calls them to be. But the access we have is not that we get something, but we get someone and we get God. And if we're not living into that, we're not actually experiencing or utilizing the accesses that is at our fingertips. We've all served people before to go, man. We know they have access. How come they're not getting it? Don't they see, man? Sometimes we say, "I want more of you, God." And he's like, "I've given you more than you can handle. You're not getting in on it because it's hard." When we're gonna come back next week and realize this work is hard. It's never easy. It's never easy to to try to be a church that represents the kingdom and diversity, guys. It's never, you're always stepping on somebody's toes, and somebody's always stepping on your toes. You're always being offended, and you're always offending. The problem is we got to talk and we got to listen and we have to have the the resources through the lens of the gospel to be able to do it. It's not always going to be all right. Sometimes it's going to walk away as many of us do and go, if it wasn't for Jesus, (laughs) right? But it is for Jesus. (laughs) It is. You are not your own. You were bought at a high price and we belong to him. This is his world. We just want to participate in what he's doing. Jesus said it best. I can only do what my fathers I see my father doing. And those of us in Christ, we need to say likewise and do likewise. So someone's gonna ask, hey, can you give us some tangible thing? And I'm gonna say next week. And people will say, well, so what do I do if I'm not gonna be here next week? And I just say, that stinks for you. Uh, So No, here's, here's, I'll tell two stories and I'll close with this. One was, when I became a Christian, um, my first like, good relationship, like dating relationship. I dated this girl. She was a believer. And um, we were going to the same church and so forth. And she's white. And I said, hey, um, I need to meet your parents. And she's like, yeah, my, my dad's... You know, when people say my dad and they start doing this without saying anything, <laughs> nothing ever good comes from this. She's <laughs> like, what what, what's wrong with your dad? Is he, is he all right? And she says, yeah, he's, he sees things differently when it comes to race. I said, that's a nice way to put it. Um, and I said, well, let's go talk to him. She goes, you sure? I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let me sit down and talk to him. So we sat down. This is a true story. Sit sat down with this guy. Find you, we went to the same church. And it wasn't a redemption church. Don't try to guess what church it was. Because um, it could happen here, too. Um, as we sat down, and he said, hey, listen, I don't think that, like, different ethnicities should be together. And I said, uh, okay, why? He goes, because the Bible teaches that. And I was just like, okay, Where? Um, and he's like, well, let's go to the Bible. And he, and he pulled out a big Bible, which he meant he made business. And so <laughs> he pulls out the Bible and he starts going to the old Testament and he starts showing me, this is why you need to read your Bibles. I had just for the first time read through the Bible. I was ready. Um, he, 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 he read through how the Israelites were not supposed to intermarry with the Canaanites. And he said, you see one race, another race. And God said, don't do it. Do you see it? I'm like, yeah, but do you know why God said that? so that you would not worship their gods. We go to the same church, bro. Like, that's not flying there. And he goes, well, you know, it's going to be hard for your kids. Here's my experience. My kids are in their biracial. Life's amazing for them. Um, It is. Uh, I'm going to stay right in the lane. I'm going to stay right in my lane. And then... And then um, we walk out of that room, and I'm thinking she's going to look at me and go, wow, like, you stood toe-to-toe with my dad. Like, you would stand toe-to-toe with anybody. Like, you. like I thought she was about to be proud of him And she, So how do you think that went? She was like, my dad did have some points. And I was just like, yeah, she's not my wife. So that was it, and God bless her. I've never talked to her since. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't, like, we weren't friends before. don't feel bad. Uh, and, and so... Uh what? I was not to be rude, it just be, yeah, anyways. <sighs> we can talk about dating later. Um and then I meet Holly, my wife. She's she's uh, part Portuguese and and um and white. She's white. And and um so we're dating and our families are in like my family's in a little bit in california mississippi her family's in northern california so i'm about to go meet her dad and and, like her parents and everything and she's like you know meet my parents and i'm like this is gonna be great and i said you told them i'm black and she goes yeah i did but like why does that matter i'm like oh it matters (laughs) somebody just said amen they know they know (laughs) it matters it matters so um uh uh, all right, I'm gonna go on a quick tangent just so you guys know the story. So we get there, and her dad's like, he looks at me, he goes, "Hey, you're not 215 pounds," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not 215 pounds, whatever." So then, like, why would he? Why, like, what did she tell him about me, right? <laughs> and um, and and then so, anyways, we're at our house. We're we're, we're like, she's like showing me around her parents' house. They got this baller house, and this is my dad's office. And we're in the office, and we're walking in the office, and I see this stack of papers, and it's a stack of papers, a printouts of my my athletic, um, like bio from ASU. <laughs> And it's got like, you know, how many tackles I had, what I majored in, whatever. I'm like, this is why this dude asked me if I was 215 pounds. And so I finally was like, I wasn't gonna say anything about it because I didn't really know Holly that well, but I'm like, man, I can't just let this ride. And so I said, "Uh, hey, what is this? And she's like, she she looked at it, she's like, oh no. (laughs) This is before I get out. And so there's, there's, long story short, Long story short, her dad, her dad, honestly, bless his heart. Like, I love the, I mean, honestly, I love the dude. He was like, what can I do to make Ricardo feel welcome? And the only thing he can think about was that people knew what I loved the most, which was football, and he handed it out to her brother and everybody like. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and yeah, so. But Holly told me, my mom's, my, my dad's mom, she's racist um, she's like, she probably won't talk to you, and Holly's mom, God bless her heart, was like, we'll put you guys in different s- settings, and we go to movies together, we'll hang out, and we'll just see if you guys can talk, and I'm like, I'm, I'm down for this, I'm like, we can, I'll try to make this happen, and she just wouldn't talk to me, I tried grandma, grandma, oh, you probably didn't hear me, grandma, <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, right, um, fast forward, we get to our wedding, and the night before our wedding, we have the, aunt, the um, rehearsal dinner, and, um, And we, our families had not met, not just our extended families, our moms and dads. My mom and dad hadn't talked to each other in a while, let alone Holly's, (laughs) Holly's parents. And that was kind of intentional, you know, just wait till the last minute, they can't say anything. Uh, (laughs) And we get together and we got this, we like, we do the dinner and then like my uncle comes, my uncle's going to barbecue. My uncle is like, like, honestly, this is how black people are, man, like, um, he couldn't rent a smoker here because he was coming from California. He rented a trailer and brought his own smoker to barbecue because that's <laughs> and, um – and. So we're together, we're, You know, the wedding rehearsal goes great, the wedding is beautiful, it's like super diverse, I mean just people, from, I mean, just my friends, Holly's friends, my family, it was a blast. And the, the dude who did the wedding talked about um, how we care about diversity and culture and Jesus and it was just, it was beautiful, it was absolutely beautiful. And then we're sitting at the table um, watching everybody dance and there's just like this celebration. And I'm gonna tell you, one thing that white people, black people, like one song they will dance together on is what? the electric slide. <laughs> like, I, I, would, I just saw, I'm like, wow, everybody is like, if, somebody, if the song came on right now, you will have old and young white people like, uh-oh. <laughs> right, and, there's, there, and we're just watching this, we're laughing, we're laughing, and then grandma, 85-year-old grandma comes walking up, and I'm thinking she's gonna say something to Holly, and she comes straight to me, and she goes, after experiencing this, I guess when it comes to Jesus, the race thing is not as big of a deal as I thought. Right? So the so what is, be in genuine deep relationships with people not like you and listen and learn. Love Jesus deeply. Let the gospel like, just flow from that and watch the unbelieving world actually gig out on like, we've never seen anything like this happen. Um, We'll talk more about this next week. And for those of you guys who won't be here, um, we'll see you the week after. We'll talk about something totally different. Uh, let's pray. Father, we, um, you're more than good. And this topic is never easy, Lord, but it's so needed. It. And it doesn't happen through a preach sermon, Lord. It happens through eating and drinking together <laughs> around your table. <laughs> the table in which you invite all, Lord, who are needy and all who are thirsty and all who are weary, that we may eat and drink and know that your body was given for us and your blood was shed for us. That we come from political differences, we come from ethnic differences, we come from demographic differences, and yet somehow we find joy and bread in Jesus. That we drink deep from the fountains of life in which you give, Lord, that you satisfy us and only you can satisfy us. Father, we know that this this conversation and this life is difficult because we look to the one who is our example and our redeemer and we see a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And so we thank you what you've already accomplished and we pray through your grace and by your spirit that we would continue to step into it. And Lord, as it continues to be hard and continue, continues to be difficult, help us not to draw from ourselves. It would just leave us more exhausted. But Lord, help us to draw from your fruit. We don't know what we don't know. None of us, but we trust that you are true, you are right, you are good, and you are beautiful. In Christ's name, amen.